Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Q Commentator. Thank you very much for joining me once again. I hope you are very well wherever you are listening to this one. Um, we are in the midst of season two, going into a second episode. Thank you so much to all of you that have been in touch following the first episode, speaking to Sky Sports' Miles Harrison. Um, thank you to Justin Middleton, uh, commentator in South Africa, who said, this is gold dust. They say you should never meet your heroes as you'll see their flaws. This is not the case with Miles, a world-class broadcaster, but exceptionally humble. It makes you say, I want to be like him. Well, thank you, Justin. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, James, one of the Rugby United crew, a real gem with the wonderfully engaging Sky Sports Miles. Of course, that's his handle on Twitter. What a voice and talent he is. One of the greats in sports, especially rugby commentary. Uh, Martin Thompson, love the Harrison episode, Nick. Really enjoy your description of the voice as opposed to your voice. Really shows how it's an entity in its own right, which needs training and nurturing. Um, Yeah, absolutely spot on Martin it, it is an instrument after all that we choose to use in that way um, John Rodwell what a fantastic story from Miles about him getting an early leg up in his career from the great the late great Brian Clough uh, in uh, this week's Q commentator it certainly was an amazing story that I didn't see coming at all uh, hashtag genuine legend yeah sometimes needs the word genuine the amount of times legend is uh, is banded about uh, Andy Render a uh, good listen if a little on the long side well yes Andy and as I think I replied to you um, Miles and I spoke for an hour and 40 minutes and that got edited down beyond that um, so uh, so you did have a relatively short version even if it was still pretty long um, and really nice story about Cluffy indeed it was so uh, thank you for those reactions via Twitter to at Q commentator do keep them coming and if you can please do leave a review on iTunes um, it's lovely getting those and that's where you can really help other people find the show um so uh, so please if you're enjoying the series i'd be super grateful for some warm words on apple Podcasts. i should probably be calling it that now shouldn't i apple podcasts um anyway yeah that would be wonderful so to this week then um as we continue into series two with a very special live episode uh, i was honored to be asked to be part of podcast live rugby a live event bringing the rugby fans down to the union alehouse in twickenham's east stand for a meeting of rugby podders uh, and a chance for Q commentator to get on the 
road by uh, including a very recently retired commentary voice of the BBC. Um, I should really apologise to those who don't like rugby, but I promise this will be the last rugby commentator for a while. Um, although by the time you've listened to this, if you don't know this great man, you'll understand why he had to feature in our live episode. It is, of course, the incomparable Ian Robertson. Uh, now, Robbo's been a regular on the after dinner and club speaking circuit for donkey's years, so I knew that expecting him to stick to my questions about the detail of commentary uh, may be a tricky task, given that he'll have a microphone in his hand and a live audience in front of him. Uh, so in the circumstances, I think we got the perfect amount of commentary chat mixed in with a few of Robbo's favourite tales uh, and some reenactment of his most memorable moments. So prepare to be entertained. Um, incidentally, thanks to Adam Redmond from the Pro 14 podcast Under the Sticks, who was also uh, at the live event, um, who has said ahead of this one, if you find any interview more entertaining this week, please let me know because this chat was absorbing and hilarious in equal measure. Well, thank you. No pressure there, you have been told. But among the giggles, I do think it's interesting to note where Ian talks about not analysing the game as a lead commentator. Um, it's as if you could put his longevity and warmth to his audience down to the fact that he's simply worked on keeping his nose clean, just saying what he saw. Um, could be a little lesson in that for many of us working today. Uh, so let's mix our way into the live event then as I, uh, well, hand over to myself. It's a special live episode of Q Commentator. Over to me. Thank you very much. What a very warm reception. Uh, delighted to be here. Thank you to, uh, to Phil and to Matt and everybody at Podcast Live uh, for having me. Um, here we are at, uh, at Twickenham Stadium, which is rather nice. I am absolutely thrilled today to, uh, to be able to uh, welcome someone who, uh, well, Phil gave a pretty good introduction to. Um, he, of course, is pretty famous for uh, those words on BBC Radio 5 Live and the World Feed from the 2003 Rugby World Cup uh, when, uh, when Mr Wilkinson dropped a certain goal. Um, I understand that you have to pay an awful lot of money to get that clip um, to IMG, so you can just try and re-enact re it in your own mind. Or maybe we'll get him to do it himself. Um, but uh, without further ado, please welcome to join me the fantastic Mr Ian Robertson. A Calcutta Cup winning fly half for Scotland in 1970, a former English teacher... As of, recently as 1970. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that already sets the tone about how much talking I'm going to get away with today. Uh, an English teacher of one, Tony Blair, um, a man who joined the BBC 47 years ago and retired last year. Um, a this year? Uh, this year. Oh, November... Oh, wait, anyway, we'll January, get on to that. January the 17th. We'll, we'll get on to that. Um... <laughs> Shall I check the rest of your research? Thanks very much. Save, save a lot of time. Robbo, it's great to have you here um, for this very special episode. Thank you for taking the time. Um, last time I saw you here, you were blagging your way into the commentator's room on the West Stand, having no longer received accreditation, but knowing exactly which doors to get through and make sure your mates had a ref link for the game. No, I took the head of uh, the debentures with me, and he was opening all the doors. Excellent. So it was all right. And it was in this room, and I had to crack a few jokes, and it was great. I, I then had a pint of Guinness. This is before the match. A lot of people thought before I did every commentary I should have had a pint of Guinness. <laughs> but uh, it was great. Now, I'm sure we're going to hear a few yarns from you over the course of the next hour, but if I may, I'd like to take you back a bit to begin with. Um, 
as to how in 1972 you transitioned from being player to commentator? Getting the, the player out of my blood was very simple. I managed to get the medial ligaments completely wrecked in this knee and the cruciates in this knee in a double tackle by a couple of fat forwards. <laughs> and, and that was the end of my career. I was 24 at the time, but I was within a, a, a week of my 25th birthday. And that was the last game I played. And I was teaching at Fetty's College... Uh, taught Tony Blair. He was very nice. He did a thing for my retirement podcast that Matt Dawson had organized, which I knew nothing about. He said, oh, come along and we're just going to do a quick sort of 15-minute chat. You don't need to prepare anything. And then I got there and he started the podcast saying that we were going to have a bit of fun in the next hour and a half which I thought, that's a lot of 15 minutes. Um, and we're going to start off with uh, a, a tribute to you from a man you taught at Fetty's College who went on to quite high things in the political world. And, oh, yes, I said, Tony Blair. Yes, I taught him to read and write. And <laughs> um, said he wasn't the easiest of pupils. He, he had long hair and played in the school rock and roll band and thought he was part of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Uh, and then uh, they said, well, that's your tribute to him. Now listen to his tribute to you. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. And he said, oh, I've got to say, it's absolute pleasure to be here to pay tribute to you. You're an inspirational teacher and said all the right things that a politician would. Didn't believe in any of them, but he just said so many... <laughs> so many nice things about me. And then when he finished, I, I said to uh, Matt Dawson, I said, was that um, Rory Bremner? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the, the start. Uh, I... Uh, was great friends with Bill McLaren. He was the greatest rugby commentator there's ever been or ever will be. No disagreement there? No. No, no just uh, an absolute genius and, and uh, a perfectionist uh, and the nicest man in the world. And he said, when I was then injured and out, would you like to come to one or two commentaries I do and we have a, an ex-international and you chip in and enjoy it? So that's, I started that uh, in, in 1971. And, and went with him, and that was my first uh, introduction to him and his phenomenal uh, ability to, to do the best of everything. Yeah, you'd have been, or he would have been 22 years your senior. Um, what did he teach you? Initially, he was saying how the, what we call the extra voice is his role in life, but then he said, you really ought to try to, to do some commentaries and practice. So in a, a game where they were only doing the second half on BBC Scotland, then I would gibber away for a bit. And then he would tell me the 430 worst things I'd done in that particular broadcast <laughs> and how, given 40 or 50 years, I might be able to develop into a commentator. And he was just great. And he just went over what he did and played back one or two of... Uh, Cliff Morgan's commentaries and said, you see how he just lifted the whole uh, 
moment of the match and did a brilliant commentary. And that was the Barbarians try Gareth Edwards and that. And he, he, Bill was meant to do that match, but in the morning he was violently sick. And they said, uh, uh, who can we get? Because he, he was taken to hospital. And um, they said, well, Cliff Morgan's here today. But he'd not prepared anything for the match, and he was had to be brought from wherever he was to to the Cardiff ground, and he had forty minutes, and he was on air doing the whole commentary, and did that wonderful, wonderful try, which yeah. is regarded as one of the greatest tries of all time. So he was my second mentor. So I had no right to fail overall when <laughs> I was brought up by Bill McLaren and Cliff Morgan, and and they. Uh, were just both geniuses, but both really nice people, and they didn't go around stabbing all the players in the back and ripping them to shreds. They they just did their job. And how to describe... They said it's very, very easy. Just describe what you see. Don't try and be clever and analyse it and, and say this and that and this and that. Just describe what you see and make it as interesting as you can. And how did you find those early commentaries? What, what did you sort of hone in as, as what you thought was the most important thing to bring to people? Well, I don't know if anyone's seen a set of Bill McLaren's notes for a match. They're approximately 12 inches or 14 inches that way and go right across. And every player gets four lines on his sheet, green, red, blue, black. In each line, he knew what went into the green line, what went into the next line, the next line, the next line and there'd be six or seven statistics in each line, so roughly 25 to 30 statistics on every single player. Nowadays, with eight replacements, uh, we're looking at 46 players. So he had this sheet. It took him 18 hours a week to do. He was uh, called a peripatetic school teacher. He did uh, PE for three schools in the borders and coached the rugby as well. And he fitted in 18 hours of doing his notes. So uh, he, he saw my notes, which are just on the back of a postcard, and he said, that's not enough. And his notes, he said, if a player's injured for 10 minutes, I can talk about him for the whole 10 minutes. And if it's 20 minutes, I've enough information to talk for 20 minutes. Um, what do you think you would do? I said, oh, I, I could talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, that was how it all started, and I, I got all his notes, and I thought, God, this is it was just a work of art. And we did a tribute to him uh, at, at the end of his career. He did 50 years of broadcasting, and we, we got a few... Um, uh, adequate people to come in David Coleman we had Murray Walker um, oh it was there were, there were five uh, Richie Benno Peter O'Sullivan was Peter O'Sullivan was there and he thought he said I thought I did well I've written everything the horse has eaten what comes out of his bum I've done <laughs> I know everything about every horse in the Grand National and he said, I look at his notes, I'm just a complete amateur. He said, and John Motson was horrified. <laughs> he, he fell over and just cracked his head. He couldn't believe someone did twice as much homework as he did. Yeah. It was just uh, remarkable. Mot Motty just said, I'm not, I don't want one of these. It will haunt me the rest of my broadcasting life. Yeah. 
Um, obviously, Bill was someone whose whose voice we became very familiar with, as indeed we have of yours over the years. Um, did you like your voice to begin with? Is it is it something you sort of had a had a relationship with? Obviously, apart from being what you spoke with, but did you did you like it when you listened listened to it back? Um, now that's very interesting because I didn't listen to it back, but that's what a good commentator should do. Desmond Lynham, uh, I don't know how many will remember him. Brian Butler, they they were guys who did their commentary every Saturday. On a Monday, they came into the BBC on the fifth floor of Broadcasting House and go into the studio, put the headphones on, and listen to their whole commentary back just to see if they'd done it well, badly brilliantly and learn from it and, and which I, golf course were you on by this stage uh, the nearest one yeah. <laughs> Just, yes yes, yes. It, uh, that's how they found me when there's a big program and they were meant to get the I did one good commentary in 47 years uh, which is enough at the BBC <laughs> and and it was a little little Johnny's drop go and I was on a golf course when they phoned me and they said, we've got to pay thousands of pounds for this. Can you just remember it and make a slight change in somewhere? And so I was on the golf course and we stopped everyone playing while I got out onto the phone, the mobile, and did a, a commentary on, on the, 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 the drop goal. And Can you still remember it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, I can do it. Uh, I, I've got one other little commentary I, I want to do. Because well, I do it now. This got me into a bit of trouble at um, the BBC. I, I was uh, not up in a court case, but I was slapped over the wrist, and they had a little look at uh, a commentary I did, in w- which was totally a hundred percent factually correct. All I did was I gave statistics, and they were a hundred percent right but I was accused of bias by an irate listener from Grimsby. <laughs> and, and that got me to have to go in and explain what I was doing. And you'll remember the match, 1999, Wales played England at... Should have been Cardiff, shouldn't it? Wales, a home match in the Six Nations, a home match, be Cardiff. It wasn't, it was Wembley, because they were rebuilding Cardiff. And the, it was the final match of the Six Nations. The end of the final whistle, we'd know who was top and who was second, third, fourth, and fifth, only five teams. It was the last five nations. And I got into a little bit of trouble because as it got to the end, and I'm, I'm very friendly with Lawrence Delalio, and he's a great guy, um, but his decision-making that day could have been questioned because with about... Five or six minutes to go. England were leading by six points. Uh, and they got a penalty in front of the post in the, the 22. So little Johnny came up and got his ball. And Delalio said, no, kick to the corner, we'll score a try. So they kicked to the corner, threw in squint the, the ball, and it was cleared. So that three points would have finished the match. They got another kick, but this time they kicked to the other touchline. And that was very near the end, and they were penalised at the line-out, and the ball was kicked down to the halfway line, and then Wales won it. Uh, I, they didn't have the throw in, but they won it. They drove on past the 10-metre line towards the 22, won the ball, it pinged along the line, and it went to Scott Gibbs. 
and I was doing the commentary, and I did. It's a very simple commentary, but got me into a little bit of trouble. I said, and the ball comes to Scott Gibbs. He smashes between the two England centres. He goes round the back row. He sprints for the line, parts the full back, and he scores the try, which, with the conversion, means Scotland will be the Five Nations champions. <laughs> Wait, this year, next year, and every year forevermore. <laughs> and this lawyer said at the little court case, it wasn't, it was an internal thing. Um, uh, I said, what was wrong with that then? <laughs> it, was, it was all true, and, and, and we won it. And my, my little guy uh, won the case. He said, yes, there's no case to answer. It was true. And it was. And we're still the Five Nations champions. <laughs> Holding on to that title. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would be remiss of me not to uh, go back and suggest whether you can... Can you still remember the, the Wilco commentary then? Can you give us a, a little bit of that for those that might not, might not have heard it or might not remember it? Yes. It's... Uh, who's not heard it? <laughs> so, We've got Good. It. We've got the right crowd in. Yes, quite right. Not a single arm yes. up. Yes. It, it's mildly embarrassing. Are there any Scots in the room? Yeah. Right. That's enough. That's a working minority. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the we need someone uh, unprofessionally to screech in the background like Rob Andrew uh, Rob did, Andrew don't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, he never worked for us again. I know. <laughs> that was him done. Yeah, no, finished. Uh, it, it, there was a, a group in Scotland, about four million of them, felt that I was a little overexcited and I, I praised Johnny in England uh, rather more than the Scots would have particularly liked. But, but the, the reason was very, very simple, that 18 months before the World Cup... I was with three very famous England rugby players. We were having uh, dinner and a few drinks. And by the end of it, we decided that the betting for that World Cup, uh, New Zealand were five to one on, meaning that even if half their team didn't turn up, they'd still win every match and win the World Cup. <laughs> so it was ridiculously short price. But they then had Australia were in South Africa and England were down at... at uh, so sixth favourite, but with 18 months to go, and they were just building and developing this team. So uh, we finished the, the dinner. I, I went home, and I have a very small account with Ladbrokes, and I phoned to say, what price are Tonga to win the World Cup in this year, two thousand uh, in two years' time, in 2003? And they said, well, I'll have to get our rugby man. He's not in. We'll phone him, and we'll phone you back. And they said, you, you can have 500 to 1, which was very short odds for Tonga. Uh, and then I, I mentioned a couple of other teams. I said, what about England? I said, are they about 100 to 1? No, no, Mr. Robertson, they're not. Um, I said, well, I want a very small bet uh, on England to win. Um, can, you, can you give what's the biggest price you can give me? And they said, well, we're, we're 20 to 1. I see uh, that uh, William Hill are 33 to 1. So I said, well, give me 50 to 1. No, no, we'll, <laughs> we'll give you 40 to 1. And I was paying for this call. <laughs> I had to get value for my, my money. 
So I, I've now got that. And then he said, what would you like on? I said, £100. He said, just a moment, Mr. Robertson. He went off and he came back. He said, I just checked the 21 years you've had an account with us. Your biggest ever bet is £5 each way <laughs> on a 4-to-1 favourite in an eight-runner race. The, I said, do you not think I've got 19 friends? We all want a fiver on it. <laughs> So I got the bet. You're thinking, where is this story going? Well, it's going to Sydney, and it's going to the dying moments of the extra time in the World Cup. As the ball came back, my commentary went along the lines of, the ball comes back to Johnny Wilkinson. He drops for World Cup glory. It's high. It's straight. It's over. Johnny Wilkinson is England's hero yet again, and there's no time for Australia to come back England have just won the World Cup. And I've won £4,000! I've won £4,000! Yes! I'm not sure many of us remember hearing that last line. um, They did well to to, to lower the mic um, at that stage. Um, I, uh, I, I took the good fortune to, uh, to speak to one of Robbo's former BBC colleagues, now a commentator at BT Sport, Alistair Eakin, before uh, speaking to Robbo today. And I said, are there any, any little key, key lines I should find out from Robbo? Um, while you're talking about betting, uh, he, uh, he mentioned that you may occasionally have a small flutter. Um, and he mentioned that in the early days of spread betting, um, there may have been... Now, I'm not sure whether, whether Ali's got oh, this yes. confused with, this, with, with, with your last story, but um, I think it was about 1995, New Zealand were due to play Japan and unused to setting the spread betting odds, so, you know, a team's going to win by how many um, on, on the rugby. The bookies set a price of something like plus 35 for New Zealand against Japan or something. And uh, all Ali said to me was, I'm not sure of the details, and with Robbo, you never know how much is true, but let's just say Robbo went all in and I think he paid off his mortgage. Yeah. Because New Zealand went on to beat them 145 points to 17. Yes, it was. It was uh, uh, we were in Durban. The match wasn't, but we were in Durban uh, on the day of that match. And the lift came down, and I was waiting to go up. And a little Welsh guy got out, and he said, Oh, the rugby man! He said, Have you seen the spread betting on the match? one match that afternoon and I said oh it's um, New Zealand Japan no he said whoa he said it's a 30 point start for Japan and uh, you know it's ridiculous and I said that is ridiculous because the the team that New Zealand picked was the absolute weakest team they could possibly pick because they were not going to lose that match whatever happened and it was the final pool game. So they put in the 15 who would not have anything to do with the semifinals and the final and so on. So they didn't need to risk any of their famous players. So the poor old bookies thought, oh, gosh, we haven't heard of half of these people. So what the spread betting uh, gave a 30-point start. So I went in and had... Uh, oh, oh, no, he said, and furthermore... <laughs> but I hadn't heard the fact. I got in the lift, pressed the button, got straight up to my room and on to Ladbrokes. And oh, it was nice, it was Sporting Index. And uh, I phoned in and had a bet. And the nice guy there said, um, well, Mr. Robertson, you're, you're having this 
large bet, but you know that New Zealand haven't picked their strongest team. Oh, haven't they? I said, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, oh, no. Oh, I'll double my bet then. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 they haven't picked their strongest team. No, I heard you. <laughs> and uh, I'm not telling you how much I had on, but it was quite good. And... Uh, <laughs> And actually, I was furious. And no wonder they were reserve players because they dropped the ball over the line under the post. That would have been another 400 quid I would have had. <laughs> and a forward pass they gave when they didn't even need to pass. He was just passing to a prop forward because he'd never scored a try in international rugby, the prop forward. And no bloody wonder because he dropped the ball. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yes, it's what we call, I had a little tickle on that, and it came off. Very, very If you've good. got uh, four years to spare, I could tell you all the losing bets I've had. Well, well, well actually, that. I need longer than that. We'll leave, we'll leave that for another time. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, at some point, we're, we're going to try and talk about commentary anyway. Let's, uh, let's come back slightly. Um, I just wanted to find out then, from what you were learning from, from, from Bill McLaren, obviously from Cliff Morgan, and you know, there's words, if you, if you remember that barbarian strike, brilliant, brilliant, as it comes through, and Gareth Edwards arriving like a steam train. It's, it's so atmospheric. And, and these voices that we get used to hearing across all sport are so good at making these moments come alive in kind of symbiosis. And, and we've heard you, obviously, on the Wilco drop goal and, and, on, and on many, many more. Um, and... What do you think makes a good commentary, and what do you think maybe makes ha, how a commentary has changed over maybe forty, fifty years? Do you think what makes a good commentary has changed? Uh, no, well, a good commentary is when the, the two teams are playing really, really well. It's a great match. <clears throat> if you have that, it makes it so much easier than dragging a game where uh, Wales had a Scotland Wales game at Murrayfield. And Clive Rowlands was the scrum half, and I think he kicked it uh, 90 times in the match and into yeah. touch and a line out and back into touch. And it just went on and on and on. But what you want is a great game. And if you've got that, then all you have to do is just describe it. And it, it's, 
it, it's the last, there's, there's no formula, because commentary in, in anything, tennis, golf, cricket, commentary, it's the last of the great ad-lib shows, that you live off your wits, and you, you have to describe what you see. Would you, so prepare, would you prepare anything from the top? Would you, when, yeah, but, when... Bill McLaren, I'm going to sell him down the river here. <laughs> um, no, he had little, four little lines uh, on his big sheet, and it would be like an eel up a river. And then I thought, why, why do you do that? Well, it might be that it's a close thing and it suddenly happens. And, and, and I thought it was so weird that he actually had four little ad libs written mm. down for each match. Shattering and, the illusions yeah. of millions here, Robert. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but he never used them. <laughs> no, he just he had them there in case, in case an eel came onto the pitch and looked <laughs> <laughs> around. Yeah, but, but, but would you write anything at the top? Obviously, you're being handed over yeah. from the studio and your commentator, yeah. Ian Robertson, and, and would you then have any scene setters that you'd pre-written or would you just go... No, no, ad-lib. Right. It's, it's the last of the great ad-lib shows that you just describe what you see and you can't describe it until you see it. So as you live off your wits. Yeah, and so I guess that probably answers my next question in terms of approaching the big moments, obviously, in... In games like football or other sports, things can be almost more explosive. But in a rugby game, often you've got that build. It's coming down the line. You can see the try is going to be mm. scored. You can know in your mind's eye that that's going to be the score that, that settles it with, mm. with 20 seconds to go. Mm. Do you have that moment of, of thought as it's coming in going, I've got, to, I've got to pick the right line here. I've got to know exactly what I'm going to say here and, and feel any of that pressure? No, because you can't. You can't say something that you think is going to happen and if it doesn't happen you're going to look a bit a bit stupid and uh, y y all you do is describe what you actually see but you've got to have a little reservoir the back of the brain to to know that when the guy scores it's his fifth try in the match and or he's now scored 100 points for his country. So you have to, a lot of statistics. Thank goodness, not as many as you need in cricket. And they, yes. You've got to know every bowler's analysis and his number of wickets and runs. And they, ha they have a team and all the commentary, Sky and BBC, that they, they have so many statistics and the guys there whipping them up as a batsman scores this run, that run, and he's had how many fours and how many sixes has he hit. So that's all statistics yeah. there. In rugby, you've got to have sufficient. There are people who just churn out statistics and that's crushingly dull in the middle of a match and they miss a couple of tries being scored while they're reading out all their statistics. So it's, it's to be prepared for anything is the answer. And, and Bill was a great ad-libber, and he did just have wonderful phrases. Mm. He was uh, Gordon Brown, like, like a lighthouse in the desert up there, all on his own, and yeah. the other people running around base camp. Yeah, yeah, all arms and legs like a mad yeah, So it, it's, it is very much, you just describe what you see, but the more information you have... Um, and I didn't have hundreds of facts, but I had uh, more than I ever showed anyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to know the preparation was in there. It was there. It um, was there. You mentioned sort of what other people might do. What, what other sporting voices across the landscape have you enjoyed listening to over the years? Well, the horse racing, Peter O'Sullivan and radio, Peter Bromley, they, 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 
do little, they had a stamp that they'd got developed that they banged that stamp on to the horse, Wayward Wanderer, and it would have the colours of the, the owner, which would be, say, white with, with three blue stripes. And the, if you have a Grand National and you've got 40 runners, you've, they, they would have 40, the sheet, and it would have the colours of every jockey and then statistics about what the horse had done. And a massive amount of work would go into that. And I always felt sorry for them because they, they could have spent two hours learning what Wayward Wanderer was doing and it's, the, the Grand National's off and it falls at the first and I would think, <laughs> I would just put them out. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, they ha, the, every, every sport has its own uh, way of tackling and for the horse racing Peter Bromley was also a magnificent um, commentator every bit as good as Peter O'Sullivan and they, in the, the end of the race um, it's no use if one horse has gone ten lengths clear and the donkey's there with the carrot trying to catch up it is no good but, but the number of horse races that are close or the suddenly a horse explodes through and goes, and the commentary and the voice goes up. Yeah. And the, there are some, the, the, the great art, when a, a new commentator starts uh, and they've got the name of the player right, they're so excited they start having a, a huge uh, a climax. <laughs> and uh, in a horse race, no, there's still actually uh, a mile and a half to go. Yeah. Just calm down. <laughs> you're not, you'll explode before you get there. Yeah, certainly speaking to John Hunt, he, oh. was, he was talking about it's almost what you call a linear commentary because you know you've got a start point and an yeah. end point yes. and you've got to get there. Um, talking did, of did, the, he, did he put down O'Sullivan and Bromley as his... Uh, yeah, we certainly talked about Peter O'Sullivan. Um, and I remember actually, I think it was Murray Walker was on an episode of, of Wogan's chat show years ago. And, and he was, our, they, they were talking about commentary and he was saying that someone at one stage had, had talked to a few of the BBC commentators about, I think for sport relief or comic relief, about them each switching sports. And and they sort of, and he sort of said, oh well, well, Murray, where would you have ended up? And he said, well, you know, we're talking away to, to Peter O'Sullivan, and and I don't know whether he may, may have mentioned yourself and and various others. He says, but I, you know, I always fancied fancied uh, fancied doing the snooker, and then he just. <laughs> And then Murray Walker just went straight into, and he pulls the cue back and slams the ball into the pocket. <laughs> and you just thought, yes! Yes. Absolutely yes. brilliant. Um, but yeah. were there, were, did any other sports interest you? You're clearly a rugby man through and through. But did, oh, did, did you have a fancy... Watching, yes, no. The commentating uh, on any others? No, no. I think golf's good because you've got all day by the time they've waved the club 34 <laughs> times uh, and then eventually hit the ball, you've paint the whole picture, and it would, it would be very, very easy. Yeah. Peter um, Alice has always sounded like he is in a very comfortable armchair. However, when asked if I would like to do um, a few Open Championships, I said, yes, yes, that would be great, very relaxing. You know, they don't run around and jump on each other and smash them into the ground like rugby. So I thought this would be very civilised. But uh, then I realised there's long gaps between, and some golfers, there's a very long gaps between getting to their ball, picking their club, going back, checking the yardage, uh, talking to their uh, caddy, and so on and so on. And, and not only that, that it then, it lasts, you're up at 8 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> they're teeing off at half past 8, and the last lot are 
uh, crawling in at nine o'clock at night. And I thought, no, no, 80 minutes on a rugby, that's enough. I mean, to, to stay for uh, 10 hours. Yeah. Four days in a row. Yeah, no thanks. No, no. Um, what about co-commentators? You've worked with Matt Dawson a lot. Who you mentioned, as uh, we mentioned, Rob Andrew, who, who never, <laughs> never worked again <laughs> after said famous screech. Mm. Um, that was good, actually, because Invidale came up and congratulated him. He said, people will be talking about your scream forever <laughs> and ever. And then he paid me the highest compliment I, I ever got from Invidale. <laughs> well, this is the Johnny Wilkinson drop goal. And he said, and as far as you're concerned, that is definitely, definitely not the worst ever commentary you've done. And walked away. <laughs> <laughs> walked away, he got my stone at the back of his head but that was all right yeah um but yeah because the relationship between a lead commentator and their co-commentator seems to have changed certainly over the last few years a lot of broadcasters now favor having one two even three voices alongside the lead commentator mm-hmm. have you felt that change over time how do you, have you found working with with co-coms yeah we've in rugby had two so and they're both northampton boys uh, matt dawson and paul grayson but when we go off to Scotland, then we have either Gavin Hastings or Andy Irvin has always done it for the last 20 years. And similarly in Wales, we have Robert Jones. And so you, you, you've got to more or less even it up. So the, they would have one from each country. Mm. Club rugby, then it would be two that we use a lot. Yeah. And, and it's an art form in its own way, but, but they, they pick it up, the, these ex-internationals. Just trying to think if we have any front row forwards who do it, but uh, it's it's pretty easy for Brian Moore. Oh yes, all oh, right. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can leave that there, or not. Yeah. Why did you say that? Why you spoil it? We've had a nice audience here. They've all been happy and friendly. Uh, dear, yeah, dear, good. Dear. All right. But they play an important part, and if you've got a good summariser, you've got a bit of gold dust. Yeah, I mean, would you have to gesticulate in terms of radio to, to keep them quiet if they were about to come in at any stage? Working on that relationship, because you obviously don't want two people you, jumping think, in and screaming yes, over each other. you would think you would, but we don't. They okay. just all seem to know. Yeah. And without being brought in, that uh, Paul Grayson had been down in the tunnel and... He hasn't done anything for 15 minutes, so he'll, he'll chip in. Yeah. Uh, a loud voice to start with, so we now know he's taking over. But he's very, very good. They're very good analysts. Yeah. And it helps everybody at home. Yeah, no, it certainly does. Or, for, in our case, driving along motorways with Radio 5 on. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, and one, one of the greatest compliments I got was a guy who nearly swerved off the road when I was describing something, and a lorry went uh, off the road because he just went, oh, he was so excited. And he said it was a great commentary. <laughs> uh, several people were killed, but... It yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, well, he had a good time. Yeah. Um, if you... Uh, we'll come to some questions, I think, uh, in, a, in a couple of moments, um, if you guys have any out there. Um, if you could... If you could sort of put in an order, obviously you, you did your last international game, England against Australia at Twickenham, that's right. And uh, 
but if you had the opportunity to either commentate on on something else or perhaps put in a, a specific order for what you might have liked your your last commentary to be, what would that perhaps have been? Uh, I had uh, a mild level of excitement in 1984 and 1990 when I'm trying to think who won the Six Nations. Mm. Any ideas? Uh, it, wa- it wasn't Wales, and it's uh, it wasn't England. It wasn't Ireland, and France were just a joke. So, yeah, I think it was Scotland. Won. Hooray! Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that was good. It didn't happen very often. So, so you'd like the chance to have called called, called a big Scottish victory? Yes, yes. That and uh, uh, the Calder brothers manufactured a try, and the one where Gavin Hastings uh, kicked ahead, and the ball bounced for Tony Stanger, and he got it and scored. I think I was at screaming level then. Good. Um, so uh, we've got a microphone in the room, so uh, I don't know if anybody uh, wants to just raise an arm. Yep, we've got one uh, down here for, uh, for Ian Robertson. Just uh, let us know your name, first of all. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Hugh. Hey, Hugh. <laughs> Far away. How do you spell Hugh? H-U-G-H or That's H-U-W? Right. G-H. G-H. That good. You're okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Robinson, you might be able to answer a, a, a topic that my friends and I were discussing earlier in the aftermath of the England-Italy game last night, and I think quite a few rugby fans might have had the same thought. How does Stuart Barnes still have a job? <laughs> Fortunately, I had played Fennec Golf Course, and I didn't see the match. Uh, so what did he do last night? Was it- Spoke right. Yeah, yes. I think that was broadly speaking right. Yeah, uh, he, he did his job. Um, he is a man that divides opinion, isn't he? Yes. As yeah, Miles I, Harrison likes and everyone went, else doesn't. I went to see. Cambridge University and I was very, very privileged. I mean, the poor boy, he went and got some sort of a degree out of Oxford. And <laughs> what can I say? No, he's, he's, uh, he's a lively guy. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I thought that's very harsh. That. It's not that easy to to do the analysis, but is it that he? Do you think he's biased or wrong? Because <laughs> we can all be right and wrong. It's it's not so much um, the bias; it's more the the dour manner that he, he brings to the game. It's uh, however, if I think someone else wrote uh, wrote in an article, that, you know, if he was if he was presented with a, a Michelin starred uh, meal, you know, it would be put in front of him, and he would go. Well, this is all very well, but Richie McCaw would have done it much better. <laughs> yeah. He knows the game, and he was a, he was a very good player. Uh, he, he was, unfortunately, at exactly the same time as Rob Andrew, and I think Rob Andrew started something like 74 games, and it was, it was almost a toss a coin, which was the better fly-half, and he started about 15, so uh, he was unlucky there. But he, he knows the game well, and uh, he certainly is not aggressive. He doesn't say this is an absolute disgrace, that idiots should never play again at any level for any club. He's not that sort of aggressive guy. I know that, uh, that Miles Harrison has once, once said to me that if people are talking about Stuart Barnes, it means they're talking about having watched the game, so Sky are happy, whether they're, whether they're, not, liking, <laughs> whether they're not liking Stuart or whether they are. Um, yes, and so if Stuart Barnes were here, would you have got up and said that? Tosspot Fossil Robertson is <laughs> You've just come along to stir it up, eh? 
Uh, any more questions uh, out there? Yes, one at the back there. Uh, Anthony Archer, the game's changed a lot since 1970, in particular the use of technology and the TMO. Have you, were you ever tempted to offer your own views on whether the referee got it right or not? Yes, yes. It, but it was a view. There was nothing certain. And the trouble in rugby, soccer, soccer's fairly easy, isn't it? They don't jump on top of each other and you know where they're all going. But when it's near a line and there's 16 sweaty bodies all and you can't see... Um, it, it's very complicated, and the replays of all those uh, things, I think it's absolutely right that they may uh, change the laws uh, a little bit on the, the high tackles, and now it's chest and it's going down all the time, so th- they hope to eradicate it, because there's far too much concussion and, and aggressive illegal tackling. But uh, no, I, I think uh, I, I'm quite... Uh, content with the way that the, the, the laws are played and the game is going. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated yeah. by seeing how football are struggling with, with video-assisted <laughs> stuff. It's mm. as if they haven't paid any attention to the fact that we've been managing it just all right in rugby yeah, for a while. Yeah. I know some people think it, it takes a while and, and yeah. could still be quicker, but I think we do end up at the right result fairly swiftly. Yeah. And, 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 and most of the time. Most of almost, the time. Almost all the time. Yeah, Because they, if they're in doubt, then... You don't give it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got another question down the front. I can, I can jump up here. Robert, I just wanted to know who was the greatest player you ever commentated? Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards. Yeah, he owes me some money and I'm going to... No, 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 Gareth Edwards. Just, uh, I, d- I never ever saw him make a mistake. He never dropped a pass. Every kick, if he was going to touch, it went to touch. Every break he made was the right way in the right direction. He was just a fabulous, fabulous player. Uh, any more questions? Yeah, we've got one at the back now. We're making you run around with that microphone, Matt. Uh, Hi, Ian. I am, I was What's just wrong said, with Leicester? Ah, oh. <laughs> yes. Chap, chap wearing a Leicester Tigers shirt at the back uh, of the room. We, ha- we have a history. We have, we have no current style, unfortunately. It's probably like Preston North End or Blackpool Football Club. We have a fabulous history and just crap at the moment. But there's always another season. Uh, question, Ian. Uh, if you could go back in time to when you first started your job with all your experience now, what, what three things would you tell yourself that you wished you could have known back when you started? Very nice. Yes. Well, the first is that uh, I played at the right time uh, because now, uh, in my... We're going back 50 years, my, my last cap, 1970. Uh, and uh, at that time... We had a great thing called the back row. And there was one flanker there, one flanker there, and a number eight. And throughout my career, they did all the tackling for the fly half. (laughs) There's no huge difference that I did one tackle in my whole life. (laughs) Uh, And it was a mistake. It was uh, in Buenos Aires, it was Scotland in the second test against Argentina, and the, they had a, a centre called Alessandro Travaglini. He was six foot four, and he was 17 stone, and he'd made a break. And it was from loose play, from the set play, I'd have expected my back row to go and knock him over, 
But he started in my direction, and I thought, oh, this is awful. Um, <laughs> so as he got close, I made up my mind, as he got close, I would just sidestep out the way and say, on you go, don't worry about me. <laughs> but as I did that, it was exactly the moment he did his sidestep, which went that way. I can't tell you exactly what happened, because I closed my eyes at this point. <laughs> But as something hit me, I just wrapped my hands round, and I've still got my eyes completely closed, and he came down just six inches short of the try line And the captain of our team was a guy called Jim Telfer, Scotland Lions number eight, who uh, he didn't have that much time for my defensive capabilities. <laughs> uh, but he just ran past and said, Great tackle! Fuck me! <laughs> It's you! <laughs> so apart from that, I used the same pair of shorts for a whole season because I never got them dirty. I never got B-tackled. If it came and the three people coming, I just slapped the ball on to the centre. Chris Ray ended up black and blue in every match. <laughs> that's one. That's the equivalent of three. Well, <laughs> yeah, one, one, two, and three, uh, all wrapped up. Uh, any more for any more out there on the floor? Yeah, we've got a couple. Uh, we've got one over here. Yeah, hi there, Ian. Um, thinking back, and you were talking about your your career. You know, finishing obviously way too short for as far as we were concerned. Um, who was the player that really inspired you? You know, uh, either at club level or at international level, because. My, my interest in rugby goes way back to a wonderful time here, and I don't know if you'll remember it, but it was a very wet day, and Peter Brown took a penalty, digging up a lump of turf, and turned his back in it, yeah. walked away, and it just came took, took it by surprise. I, absolutely. But uh, player-wise, who was the one that, that really inspired you? Uh, it was a contemporary of mine, uh, Ian McGeekin, and, and we've been best friends now for donkey's years. We've done eight books together on, on Lions tours and World Cups, and there's nothing in all of the match that he couldn't do. He knew exactly what every loose head forward should be doing, the hooker, everything. He was a centre and a fly half, and he, he, when I finished, he came in and took over and uh, played for the Lions. He's coached the Lions to, to test victories. And he, he just studied the game. He, he writes for the Telegraph. He, he's, he's such a calm, quiet, friendly, he's probably never used a swear word in his whole life, relaxed guy, but he's, he's a brilliant analyst. And I was lucky doing one tour where I met him for... Uh, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, um, every second night of a whole tour uh, uh, to South Africa and ended up with Guscott dropping a, a goal. And uh, he said, what we're going to do is we're going to take the play to this touchline. And he was telling me all the tactics, um, which for a price I could have sold on to South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I was 100% a McGeekin man. And, he, uh, and the theory that went in, and then when it would change and come back into the field and then go on to the left or come back and the players would know which to do every time and why. And he analysed everything. Also gave phenomenal team talks just to 
lift people up. So he, he would be my very, very, very special rugby player, as well as Gareth Edwards. Those relationships you can build with coaches as a commentator are really valuable, aren't they? I've, I've been I've, very, very lucky. I, I was doing um, an England women's commentary a few years ago and got to know Gary Street very well, the World Cup winning coach with them. And, and he sat with me during their training on the Friday ahead of the game on the Saturday and said, um, well, what I can tell you is the first three lineouts are going to come off the top and Amber Reed's going to come crashing up. We're just going to send it straight to 12. So it's just absolutely brilliant as a commentator because then you can sound like Mystic Meg knowing exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> Yes, you look a bit England, like England, Mystic Meg. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> um, so, you know, England are set up here, and, uh, well, I wonder whether Amber Reed's going to be the one to crash this up. Oh, and here they go! It's just, like, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. Um, very valuable. Right, um, a couple more that we've got. Yeah, one in the middle and one at the front here. Question, questions for Ian, but I'm also keen to hear Nick's answer as well. If there's one piece of commentary you could have delivered that you hadn't, what would it be? You go first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll think of one. <laughs> uh, I would probably go with uh, one that I ended up as a ringtone. And, uh, and for anybody that, that heard the first series of Q Commentator, you, you hear me slightly fanboying with Clive Tilsley about. Um, because as a Liverpool fan, the 3-0 down Istanbul evening, where the first goal back that Liverpool score in some kind of prophetic, bizarre, as if he knows what's going to happen way, Clive Tilsley goes, hello, hello, here we go. And then, you know, Gerard, it's in, it's in, it's Smeetster. I've got them all. Um, <laughs> but, but that, for him to sort of say that to the point that, because I always, I always kind of describe commentary a bit, and particularly TV stuff when, I don't know, it might be a, a Formula One um, race or whatever it is, that you kind of, part of your job is to get people to, to put the newspaper down because they might be sat there on a Sunday afternoon reading the paper. Oh! Hello, what's going on? And you sort of want to let them know that something is about to happen. It might not quite have happened, but it's time to alert them. And I think that, as far as, as Liverpool fans you know, were that evening, to get them going, it couldn't, could it? And I think, I think if, to have been part of being able to get that out there, I think, I think would, have been, would have been quite fun. I would have liked to have done the commentary of the Scotland-Wales game 1970, uh, the commentary on me dropping a goal in front of the posts... <laughs> And scoring a try in the left-hand corner. <laughs> yeah, do you want to do? I, do you want to do it for us? I, no, I'd have built it up. Don't worry. <laughs> and it wouldn't necessarily mean the drop goal was from seven meters out under the posts, <laughs> from the halfway line. <laughs> um. Robbo, having you missing from our airwaves is something that we're, we're having to get used to um, from, uh, from your calls over, obviously, the big moments, but also every joyous smile that everybody had when, when a Five Live presenter said, and your commentary team of assistant, assistant, and Ian Robertson. Thank you so much for everything all over the years and for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Mr. Ian Robertson. Ian Robertson there, an amazing character. I'm very grateful for his time. Uh, and he certainly began by making sure I knew what the pecking order was, didn't he? Um, but it was so lovely to delve into his back catalogue of stories, of which I think we heard about 2%. Um, and for the live audience to be duly entertained, well, I hope you as the listener were as well. Um, on the commentary side, I'm still kind of intrigued that Robbo's view of good commentary from 
I don't know, rugby match to a horse race seems fairly dependent on the quality of the game or the sport itself, which lays a bit of a challenge, I guess, to those who might be up and coming commentators who may not be getting the chance to commentate at the very top level of sport. Perhaps it's another example that if you can be good at the lower level stuff, well, it should, in theory, get easier the higher you climb. Um, Food for thought there, not quite sure what I think, to be honest, but uh, I mean, you're always going to have to keep working hard at it anyway, aren't you? Um, But anyway, if you enjoyed that, please tell your friends, drop me a line on at Nick Heath Sport on Twitter or tag at Q Commentator. And uh, well, for an extra gold star, a review on Apple Podcasts would be superb. Uh, We've one more to come next week of this very mini series uh, of Series 2. The small matter of a World Cup in Japan is going to delay things a little as I'm heading out there. Um, So, uh, but there will be a new episode next week. It's going to be a belter. Trust me on that one. But thanks for listening and bye for now. This has been a Rugby Media production. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.